Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4 as we uh, conclude this series, as we consider the heart of God and uh, sharpening our vision about that. You know, there's no greater day in the life of a preacher than when somebody decides to become a disciple of Jesus. I mean, that's what keeps us going. That's why we do what we do. If if you're a golfer, you know how frustrating it can be when you keep hitting a a ball in the rough or water hazard, but finally you hit the ball in that sweet spot and it flies, and that's all you need to keep you going. And it's like that when you're helping somebody know Christ. Now, that being true, it seems like Jonah should be on the top of the world. This city, Nineveh, was a mess. It was a terrible city. It was filled with all kinds of violence and evil. The the atrocities that they committed against their enemies were beyond description. We can't even fathom the kinds of things they did to people, their enemies. But they repented. When Jonah preached, they repented, probably much to his shock, and they turned their lives around. But the very next statement in the narrative is, but to Jonah... This seemed very wrong. And then it was violent. It, it, it was evil. And, and not only does it say that, but, but after Nineveh listens and repents, the Bible says that he became angry. Why? Well, because the bottom line is that Jonah could not figure out God's love. And that's what chapter 4 is about. In its, in its essence, it's about the love of God. Here it is. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for its head and it ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Let's pray. Oh, 
Oh, Father in heaven, as we open this word at this time, in these few moments, I pray that your truth will reveal in us what needs to be revealed. That you will remind us of the intensity of your love. That we will emerge from this knowing that we must be true disciples of Jesus, knowing this heart and living this heart. We thank you in Jesus. Amen. So, in the very beginning, uh, Jonah is saying, basically, God, I can't figure you out. This city is a violent city. They are far away from you. The kinds of things they have done are are atrocious. The atrocities, the, the, the great pain they've inflicted on the world. It has laid waste. Various nations It has committed genocide from people group to people group. When it, comes, when it comes to what you do, God, I don't get you. I don't understand your love. And basically what God is saying back to Jonah is, Jonah, I don't understand your love. All of us believe in love. There's nobody here that would say, I don't love God. I think we are here because we love God. But my fear is, it's a kind of love that is generic, and it's cerebral, and it's intellectual, but it hasn't yet gripped our hearts to the extent that God expects us to be gripped. Some of you, your grandparents, or some of you uh, throughout our congregation, you have, you have, you remember the Great Depression, perhaps, or your parents in lines of the Great Depression. You've seen pictures of the ration lines where people were, were, were begging and, and needed and, and dependent. And, and my question for all of us is this. Is your, is your love a, a, is it a rashid love or is it an impassioned love? It's two different things, you know. You can have a kind of love that just eked out in portions. It's rationed out. Do you remember when you had your first kid? Then you're going to have your second kid. And you thought, man, how could we have that much love for a second kid? We'd only have so much to go around. And it's not true, is it? You could have 10 kids and every one of them are, are, are incredibly loved. Because that's the nature of love. It keeps reproducing and there's enough to go around, right? And so we are called to have this kind of love that grips our hearts. And God says, Jonah, you've been honest with me. Now I'm going to be honest with you. God's love is so much more extreme than we know. So two things I want you to know about God's love tonight. Be reminded that first of all, God's love refines. It refines. It is a kind of love, a kind of purifying love that is really difficult for us to fully get our, hand, our heads around. By nature, God's love will not let you alone. It can't let you alone. It, it, it's a love that refines. It wants to keep refining. So we learn this text, the word provide. It's three times in the text, as you know, God provided a green, leafy green plant, then he provided a worm, and then he provided a scorching east wind. God grants Jonah comfort... And he provides this worm to eat away his comfort. And then he provides some discomfort. And the account bears the question, does God bring troubles and discomforts and and disasters into people's lives as a way of purifying them? 
Is that what this text is teaching? Well, perhaps. I don't know that every problem that comes, uh, God has sent it into our life, but certainly he has permission to do so. And the Bible really teaches that God does either allow it or send it for the purpose of making us better. Hebrews 12 says this, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as, as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good, and order we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, the Bible teaches that this, this world is, that we know today is not what God created. It's not how he intended. He created a perfect place for us to enjoy. We value this place. But Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And since that day, we've had all kinds of calamities and problems, natural disasters, and pains in life. All of it comes as a result of sin, either our personal sin or the sins of other people. That's what happens. Now, have you ever been on a team at work or a sports, an athletic team, where it was just, it was like the perfect year. It was the perfect season at work that everybody gelled well. Every, everybody fed off each other. You were creative. The, the team was functioning well. They played with each other. And then somebody joins your team at work or on the playing field, and, and they're totally incompetent. They're just, they're just you, you can't deal with them. And then of all things, that person buys the company. Or they buy the whole team. And you already know that person's incompetent, but they've come to the head now. And you know there is no hope now because incompetence, incompetence is at the head. That's exactly what happened in Eden. Someone who was incompetent to, to, to lead their own lives came to the head as soon as the forbidden fruit was eaten. And when you sinned and when I sinned and rebelled against God, we were doing the same thing. Incompetence came to the head of our lives. We were not created to be competent to lead our lives in the appropriate way for fulfillment and for fullness, fullness that only comes through Jesus Christ. So, it reminds us. It reminds us that when we want to, when pain comes, our tendency is to reject that. The Hebrew writer says, don't be doing that. This is what God's, this is how much God loves Jonah. He's trying to somehow get to his heart. And Jonah is so cold inside, he has a hard time letting God do that. Uh, Mr. David Shoshan is, um, is a guy who in May of, I'm not making this up, May of 2016 took God to court. Because his life had been so harsh, he was, he was going to court to get a straining order against God. Have you ever felt that way? Has your life ever been so troubled that you felt like that's what you want to do to take a... God, just get out. Just get away. It's, it's not working for me here. Listen, God never wants to do you in. He never wants to do that. He might be coming your way, but it's not to do you in but to refine you, to capture you by his love and his grace. When the pains of life come in, the evil one wants you to ditch God. He wants you to walk away, to blame God, to say, I'm out. 
if this is who you are, it's not worth it. He wants you to think that God won't deliver on his goodness and his promises. That's what he wants to do. When Paul was writing to Corinthian believers in the first century, he said, look, you're tempted. You're tempted to walk away. Look, learn from Israel. Learn from the ways God had to discipline because of their sin. Whenever they had pain, whenever they disobeyed or had something happen they didn't like, they bailed on God. But this is what Paul writes to him. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted... He'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. In other words, whenever a pain comes into our life, it's the perfect timing for the evil one to get us to walk away from God. And you cannot let him have that way in your life. In claiming this truth of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you can run to God so that you can run with him and then run for him for the glory of his name. Have you ever tried to help a drunk? You ever had a friend who was drunk or high on something and they wanted to drive? <laughs> and then you say, you're not driving. What do you mean? And they fight you. They're a friend and they fight you. And they, 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 they curse you because of what you're doing. You're doing a loving thing. And if they wake up to their foolishness in time and straighten their lives around... They, they will come to understand someday and thank you, thank you. Thank you for loving me and caring about me and making sure I didn't get in that car. I'd probably be dead. You see, without Jesus Christ, our lives are out of control. Without him being the Lord, we're, we're inebriated with self and for what we want and what we think is best. And we have to be rescued from that. So he intervenes with all kinds of things in our lives. So, that means God has to will to our leafy green plants sometimes. He's a good benefactor. He supplies us with all kinds of good things. And yet, we tend to rest under our, our leafy green plants of self-image and material goods and accomplishments and promotions and successes. We build life our own way. And leafy green plants are anything that you find security in outside of Jesus Christ. And that's why we keep our eyes on the cross of Christ. Because on that dark day, on Friday that we call Good Friday, when the Son of God was suffering and dying for the sins, your sins and mine, that pain didn't make sense, did it? Everybody who had, who had, had put all their trust in Jesus, being God's Messiah, looked at him on the cross and said, What? This is it? This is what we followed for? And they scattered. But three days later, he came out of the tomb, didn't he? And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And through the pains of our lives, God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to refine us by his love. But there's a second thing. God's love also pursues. Jonah said, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. But he was still holding out for hope that fire and brimstone would come from heaven, right? So he camps out outside the city waiting for it to burn. That's what he really wants. Maybe God won't, won't really rescue them. I mean, he'd rather die than see Nineveh rescued. What kind of heart is that? This is a prophet of God. Jonah says, I, I knew it. That's exact. I knew this is the kind of God you are. I knew, I knew you'd save them. Now, God at this time could have said, okay, Jonah, 
I've had it with you. I'm done. All right? You want to die? Okay, here you go. I'll kill you. But that's not what he does. Here is God in the gentlest way giving to Jonah the thing that Jonah did not want God giving to the Ninevites. Patience and acceptance and forgiveness and pursuit despite Jonah's cold heart. He's saying to Jonah, Jonah, I love the Ninevites. I love the Ninevites in spite of their atrocities, and I love you despite your arrogance. I love the Ninevites in spite of their total disregard of me, and I love you despite your total disregard of me. And I'm not done with you. Don't you see, Jonah, he says, my mercy toward you is as undeserving and unmerited as the mercy I'm showing to Nineveh. It's all undeserved. And brothers and sisters, that's your story and my story as well. I'm not deserving of God's mercy and grace. Neither are you. Jonah, he says, you are so upset about this plant here. And yet you want me to nuke 120,000 of these Ninevites. They don't even know their right hand from the left. Now, what God is saying is they can't even make a moral judgment. That's how ignorant they are of spiritual realities. And you're ready to cheer from the, from the sidelines when I destroy them. You're concerned about this plant. I'm concerned about people. That's what I care about. This word concerned here in the text is a Hebrew word. And that's too weak a word the translators use. It means really to grieve or to mourn over. God, God, God was concerned. He grieved over Nineveh. He grieved over and mourned over them, their condition. What God is saying to Jonah and to every one of us is he's asking, what do you weep over? Some of us are more likely to weep over a scratch on our car than a lost neighbor or a stained carpet than a rebellious child or IU or Purdue losing than the fact that a whole neighborhood may not be ready for the coming of Christ. Look at what you love. Look at what I love. God weeps over the unwashed. He weeps over the undeserving, the spiritually distant, the life that is ruined and addicted and enslaved. Where's your love flowing? God is asking us. Is it flowing inward or outward? Where is it flowing? God's love is always a pursuing love. He's pursuing Nineveh, but he's also pursuing Jonah. And through his story, he's pursuing you and me. He wants us to wrestle with this, brothers and sisters. Is our love rationed or is it impassioned? Now, this, this, this account of Jonah, could, the end of the story could have come at the end of each chapter. We could have read chapter 1. Jonah is in the storm. He's running from God. He's thrown overboard in the storm so the sailors can be saved. God supplies a great fish, eats them up. Lesson, repent. And we're done. Close, end of story. That's not the end of the story. Chapter 2. He's in the belly of the fish. And he prays. And the last thing he prays is, salvation is from the Lord. That's the lesson. Salvation comes from God. Close the book. That's Jonah. Nope. End of chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches, and lo and behold, they repent. They turn their heart to God. Great into the story. Not the end of the story. That's not how God chooses to end the end of the story. 
because we still have something to learn. In fact, as an aside, you know, it's one of the reasons we know the Bible's true. You can't make this stuff up. You know, if we were writing this, Jonah would be this great hero. You know, he come out. He might have gone to swallow a fish. Maybe he could be like a man, a change man. Hallelujah, praise God. I'll never disobey him again. All that. It's not what it is. In fact, now Luke gave the title to this message. Okay, said blame him. Running with God. We don't really know, do we? We come to the end of the story, and we still don't know if he chooses to run with God. I think the story ends this way, because you're Jonah, and I'm Jonah. And this closing question that God asks in chapter 4 is like a spear that, that God throws toward Jonah's heart, and he ducks, and it hits us right today where we are. You know, uh, you remember in your school years learning about Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal was a, uh, an incredible thinker, philosopher, mathematician of the 17th, one of the greatest minds of the 17th century. And when he died, they found, sewn into his shirt, a page of his journal. And I'm not going to read the whole page, but it was there. But there's one line that sort of encapsulates what the journal is about It says, the year of grace, 1654, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past midnight, fire, all caps in the journal, one word, something happened. Now, he had always been a believer in Jesus, but something happened this night for two hours from 10.30 to to, to 12.30 in the morning that captured his heart in such a way he never wanted to forget it, had it sewn into his shirt so it would always be close to him. Fire! Something changed within him. This is what God is looking for in our lives. Do we love God tonight? Sure, that's why we're here. We love God. But is it a fire? Has his love so captured your heart that it has, it has set you on fire? That it no longer can be a rational love. It's an impassioned love. It's something far beyond anything you would ever know and experience. That's us tonight. And that's my question. Is your love rationed or is it impassioned? Do you know God's love as a fire? How can you know? Can you know? Well, I think there are a lot of, lot of ways we can know. Here, here are four ways, perhaps, you can take with you. First of all, you can know it by how you engage people. You can know it by how you engage people. For instance, when, you first, when you're building a friendship with somebody... What are you looking for? What, 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 what do you consider when you're building a relationship? When neighbors move to your cul-de-sac, when a classmates come to your class, uh, when you walk onto the college campus, you know, and, and you run into, you start building relationships. When somebody joins your team at work, there's one of the underlying burning questions. I wonder where they are with the Lord. I wonder what their condition, their heart condition. I can't wait to find out if they're a disciple of Jesus or not. 
That's one of the ways you know your heart is on fire. You also know it by how you receive pain. Do you bail on God easily? Some calamity comes, or maybe you have a year where it just seems everything is going wrong. You can't wait to the turn of the calendar, and maybe next year you'll have some relief. And maybe you get it, and maybe you don't. And, and you're not sure you can hold on because if this is the way God treats people he loves, I, I, don't, I, I, I can't imagine what he's doing to people who don't love him. And so I don't know if I want to go to church. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. I can't figure God out. You know, I don't want to read my Bible. I, I don't, no, no, don't talk to me right now. If that's how you respond to pain at whatever level, how much, then you're in for what God can do for you. That, that's not a heart on, on fire. Because of his love. Third, you know it by how you weep. We already talked about already. But what moves your heart? I remember Esther. She was in the hospital. She'd been with the Lord for a number of years now. But when I stopped by her room, she was crying. And I said, Esther? She was about 88, I think. I said, Esther, are you hurting today? Oh, no. I was just watching the news. And I was worried about our world. You ever cried watching the news? Never wept? We saw the condition of the world. Robert Dale once said, The only man I can listen to preaching on hell is D.L. Moody because I've never heard him talk of it without breaking down and weeping. Real people go there. It's a real place. And I think you know it by how you readily forgive. You know, sometimes it takes a crowbar to get us to be removed from our grudges. You find that to be true sometimes? So hard to relinquish it and forgive people. We'll try. As long as they grovel. As long as they seek repentance. You know, these Ninevites, they know a clue. And God came after them long before they even knew and recognized they had a need. Max Lucado tells about this big uh, muscle dude named Daniel. And Daniel had a falling out with his brother who had swindled him. And he said, if I ever see that man again, I will break his neck. Well, Daniel became a Christian. But he could not forgive his brother. And then one day, he, he saw him on the other side of the street. I'll let Daniel tell the story. I saw him, but he didn't see me. I felt my fist clench and my face get hot. My initial impulse was to grab him around the throat and choke the life out of him. But as I looked into his face, my anger began to melt. For as I saw him, I saw the image of my father. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's look. I saw my father's expression. And as I saw my father in his face... My enemy, once again, became my brother. You see, when God looked at the Ninevites, he didn't see enemies. He saw people, human beings that were made in his own image. Tarnished, hard to see, really hard to see, but nevertheless created his image. And that's what God calls us to have, this kind of heart. That when we see people, and every person we see, we see a reflection of our Father's eyes. We see a reflection of who our God is and what he's like, all the potential that is there. 
And we, we can't not love and care about that person. And we're compelled to do that because that's how God saw us, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're done with Jonah for now. We'll be back. You'll be back in devotional reading sometime, maybe in some study, some Sunday morning, 10 years from now. We'll think, ah, it's been a while since we did Jonah. Let's do Jonah again. Won't be me, it'll be somebody else. But on that occasion, I'm wondering, will we relate more and identify with Jonah or with God? We'll only relate more to God if between now and then we let him penetrate our hearts and set them on fire. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, we, I confess, I, I cannot confess on behalf of these others, but I confess me, my sin. That I've had times of fire. I've had seasons of fire. But Father, I'm not sure I've always been on fire. And I ask your forgiveness. I don't think I've ever... Seen a person, Father, I wanted to see burn in hell. But I've also seen people that are going there and haven't cared enough to talk to them, reach to them. Please forgive me. Forgive our church, Father. We can so be so easily consumed by church activities, church functions, and church gatherings that we forget what our purpose is. Please, God, forgive us and set us on fire. I thank you that from the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that reaches to us, Father. While we're still sinners, you died for us. And we thank you. So as we take a little piece of bread and a little piece of juice, we are so very grateful that you have not treated us as our sins have deserved. But as far as the east is from the west, so far you have separated our sins from us. Thank you. And we praise God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.